A note from Robert P. Rabbit, 9. When we first found out that we were going to go to the Havasu Canyon, Katie, Will, and I spent a great deal of time on the internet finding out everything we could about the canyon. Our search pulled up information about the Grand Canyon. We saw pictures of winter snow, fall colors, and massive spring storms with lightning strikes in the canyon. It was both amazing and frightening to look at, but even better than what we learned online were the stories and pictures that Katie's mom had from a rafting trip she took with her family straight through the Grand Canyon on the Colorado River. They camped out on the side of the river each night, and they fished during the day as they rode along in the raft. But the most amazing part of the trip were the huge rapids they rafted through each day. Mom said that when they hit a rapid, the waves in front of them were as tall as the nine-foot ceiling in Grandad's den. The waves would break over the top of the raft, so for a short time they were all underwater. But then they would shoot out the other side of the wave and into calmer water. And on that trip, they had come up into the Havasu Canyon, so they had lots of pictures for us to look at. Fortunately, we didn't have to experience rapids like that in the Havasu Canyon. It certainly would have messed up my fur. Chapter 9. Princess Singing Waters The Native American girl lay on a jumble of boulders under a rock cliff with water tumbling down. The boulders were as big as a refrigerator, and they were strewn about an area the size of a basketball court. They looked as if a giant had thrown them all down from a high place, like toy blocks scattered across a playroom. It's a good thing Robert P. Rabbit had gone looking for the source of the spring, or they would have never spotted the girl. These are awfully big rocks, said Katie. I'm not sure I can get down there on my crutches, but I'll do the best I can. I'll help you, Emily offered but we need to keep going if the girl is injured so we can help her. When they had reached the stream bed, Robert P. Rabbit saw that the girl had the special mark that allowed him to talk to her. They could also see that she had fallen and hurt her leg pretty badly. Her ankle was swollen, and she had a nasty scrape on her knee. She looked to be about ten years old, and she had jet black hair that gleamed in the sunlight. She wore moccasins and had on a buckskin dress with fringe on the sleeves and the hem, and beautiful beadwork across the front and down the arms. "'Are you all right?' asked Katie. But she didn't say anything. She just looked at them. "'We want to help you,' Emily said. She still didn't speak. She only stared at them. "'Here, have some of my water and one of my granola bars,' Katie offered as she opened up her backpack to retrieve those items. The Havasupai girl finally spoke, but not in English." She spoke in her native tongue, which, of course, neither Katie nor Emily understood. She says she can take care of herself and that she doesn't need your help, translated Robert P. Rabbit. Katie and Emily just stared at Robert P. Rabbit in shock. How do you know what she said? Emily asked him. I told you, she has the special mark, said Robert P. Rabbit, so I can understand her. But how can that be? asked Katie. Remember, Katie, I don't use sounds when I speak. I only throw my voice to you with my mind. Since I am thinking my thoughts and not using words, I don't need to use a particular language. She understands me, and I understand her, and it doesn't matter what language the words are. Katie and Emily were so excited to learn this that they just looked at each other and almost forgot about the Havasupai girl. What a rabbit, they both thought. Robert P. Rabbit told the girl, these are friends. You can trust them. 
Their names are Katie and Emily. You can talk, she said in English. I've only known three other animals that I can understand, two bluebirds this morning, and my great-grandfather's mule. And my great-grandfather and I are the only ones who can hear him talk. Katie pointed at Robert P. Rabbit and told the girl, My granddad, Emily, me, and Will are the only ones in our family who can talk to him, and now you can, so you have to be someone special. Emily added, Like Robert P. Rabbit, that's his name, by the way, says, We are friends, and we want to help you. Please tell us what happened and what your name is. My name is Singing Waters, she began. I woke up this morning, and I could tell that something special was going to happen today because there were two bluebirds on my windowsill. They hardly ever come close to the house, and never together, because one always stays on the lookout for danger while the other hunts for food. They are one of the few types of birds that share their food with each other. As they sang their morning song, they told me to put on my best clothes and go to the spring and wait. So I went to our cedar trunk, and I put on the ceremonial dress that my grandmother made for me years ago. This is the first time I have ever been big enough to wear it, and I have been saving it for a special occasion. But when I came to the spring, I lost my balance on the boulders and I fell. The bluebirds flew over to me and kept me company. I knew someone would be along to help me, because the bluebirds kept singing and acting calm instead of worried. And when Robert P. Rabbit came hopping up a few minutes before you got here, the bluebirds flew away and have not been back. So I have been expecting someone. Oh, Singing Waters, that is such a wonderful story. I'm so glad we are a part of it, said Katie. But why did you hide from us if you were expecting someone special? I was scared when I saw you were visitors, because visitors usually just want to take pictures of us and don't treat us like people. The four of them spent the next 45 minutes telling each other all about themselves and their families, and Katie told her all about her cancer and the treatments she's going through. She explained to her that this had not been a very good day up until they met her, and now everything was looking so much better. Singing Waters told her, Maybe my great-grandfather can help you. He is a very wise man. Well, first, said Robert P. Rabbit, I think we need to get you home. And you are lucky that Katie brought her crutches, because you're going to need them. So they helped her out of the crevice she had fallen into, and with Katie using her walking stick and Singing Waters using her crutches, and both of them holding on to Emily, they were able to get onto the path and start toward the village. Singing Waters led them to her home. It was an adobe house made of mud, but with thick walls that kept the inside cool in the heat of the day. The rooms were spacious, and there was a large fireplace at one side of the main room. Singing Waters explained to her mother everything that had happened, and how Katie, Emily, and Robert P. Rabbit had helped her so much, and she took special care to tell her mother about being able to communicate with Robert P. Rabbit. Her mother didn't react like most people do when they hear me or Katie mention talking with animals. She asked very good questions of all of the girls about why they thought there was something special about this encounter. It's interesting that Singing Water's mother had been expecting something special that day, too, since it was a custom in their family that the grandmother would make a beautiful ceremonial outfit at each granddaughter's birth, big enough that it would fit them when they grew up to be nine or ten years old. Then, one day when they knew something special was about to happen to them, they were supposed to put on the outfit for the first time and set out on a journey. This day was that special day for Singing Waters, 
so her mother didn't even ask her where she was going when she left that morning, but decided to wait and see what the day would hold. The conversation naturally came around to why Katie's family had come to the Havasu Canyon. "'We were sent here to find the rock that will not move,' explained Katie. Emily added, "'Our grandparents are looking for a big rock somewhere in the village, but Katie doesn't think it is a rock at all, but a person.' "'Well, Katie is a wise young girl,' said Singing Water's mother. "'I think that is the reason you were meant to find my daughter.' Then she called into the other room for her son, who looked to be about thirteen. She spoke to him in their native tongue, then turned back to Katie and Emily and said, This is Little Bear. He can take you where you need to go. So Katie, Emily, Little Bear, and Robert P. Rabbit left the adobe house and started down a trail that seemed to run straight into a hundred-foot sheer rock wall. Where are we going, Little Bear? asked Katie. Don't call me that, he said, rather irritated. It sounds like I'm a child, and soon I will be a man, and that won't be my name anymore. What shall we call you? asked Emily. You don't need to talk to me at all, he said. I'm taking you where you need to go, and then I'm going to go back to preparing for my tests. It all sounded very mysterious to the girls and Robert P. Rabbit, and they began to worry about where he was taking them. The only thing that made them feel better was that Singing Waters had assured them that they would be very glad they had gone with Little Bear. The path led them first through some low-growing cactus surrounded by wildflowers. Then it wound through some scrub oak trees that got taller and taller, making them feel like they were going through a tunnel. Finally, just when it looked like the trail would end at the hundred-foot red sandstone wall in front of them, it turned sharply to the right. They walked between two large boulders and came upon the entrance to a cave. It was a hole in the side of the mountain big enough for a car to drive into, and it was very dark. Little Bear motioned for them to go into the cave, and so they started in, but when they turned around again to see if Little Bear would follow them, he was gone. They were all alone in the dark. 